Hello, and welcome to the, the, <laughs> well, it's been a while since I've said this, <laughs> to be honest, so welcome to RPG PodQuest, a show that is not only about RPGs, but at one point was also an RPG. As always, I am your host, Evan, and with me, I'm very excited to have Nick. Nick, how are you? Evan, I am really well, mate. Yourself? I'm I'm doing all right. This this was this has been a long time coming, I will say. Um and this is something that I really wanted to to do with you. Uh and I'm glad that you've had the opportunity to sink some time into what we're going to be talking about today, but uh I mean, it's been a while since we've talked. Have you aside from what we're going to be talking about today, Xenoblade X, uh have have you d- dabbled in any other uh, great games? Um the game of life, Evan cracking board game um no other than that i so i guess just uh for the listeners and sort of why we've gone quiet um i have my first child on the way um due in in a month or two um sort of why i've decided to sort of step back from the podcast a bit you know free up i think our recording times were usually on a saturday um sort of foreseeing that i i now need to start organizing a few things in my life in preparation for that um so that that's been keeping me busy but other than that I, I've uh, finally finished um, Trails in the Sky 1. I'm halfway through Trails in the Sky 2. So I've been cracking on with those from an RPG perspective as sort of my my nighttime game. You know, the wife goes to bed and I sort of set myself up and I've been playing those for an hour or two a night. Sure, yeah. Um, outside of that, you know, I've played the, the new Kirby game, which was outstanding. Like, absolutely. Did you end up picking up Kirby? I didn't, but every single person who I hear talk about it says it's great, and that really makes me want to want to get into it. Uh, you know, like a part of me, definitely as a, uh, I don't know, as somebody who plays like you know Souls like games, I feel like I should play games that have a certain degree of difficulty. And Kirby isn't really difficult, but no. it's always good. And I think you know some games deserve to be just comfort food uh, and and that's what it is you know but there's enough there there's like hidden trinkets to find there's there's you know there's things to go off and do that you don't necessarily need to there there's a post game that's got some challenge to it well that's good and and the final the final boss fat fight as per most kirby games is just ridiculous um you know it includes the the best mouthful mode of the game um, so it's, <laughs> okay it's, it's, it's almost worth even if you don't just watch that final battle and cutscene because it's, it's pretty great I don't know. I, I, you know, honestly, with your recommendation, uh, I think that might be the thing that'll push me over the edge. And I, I, I just want to say, I feel like Nintendo's been kind of like hitting it. And I know that this is a HAL uh, game, but I feel like Nintendo's really been hitting it out of the park with final boss fights. I mean, the Odyssey uh, final boss where you uh, and then you you go into your, you know, they, they've taken their gimmick of the game and then applied it to their final boss fight pretty well. So you really have yeah, me curious. They, they've really got a, a, a crack team of final boss fight uh, maestros. <laughs> For sure. They unleash every now and again. But yeah, other than that, sort of, um, what else? A bit, bit of Lego Star Wars came out. So we've sort of just been dabbling in that. Very cool. Um, I've I've really, though, myself been sort of trying to get back into and setting up for when my child is born into um, some of my older classic consoles. So I'm yeah. just sort of undertaking a little project at the moment to, um, you know, set everything up, have it all wired up and, and easily accessible for those uh, late nights ahead. Because I think the last <laughs> thing I'll, I'll be wanting to do is be fluffing, you know, at the moment if I want to set up, say, a, a Sega Dreamcast, I've got to fluff through boxes, find cables, hook it all up and... 
set it up for a day or two but so i'm trying to sort of get a system up and running that everything's wired and i've got a couple of rca switches on the way so i can hook everything up i got a an old crt television now ready to go good good well you know nothing like having a child to really you know set your (laughs) priorities exactly gotta you know gotta gotta get ready to teach them when they uh, get a bit older sure yeah and what about you what about yourself evan what's been what have you been playing oh i've been all over the place i've been playing a lot of stuff for the site um you know just recently gosh what did i just finish i don't Rem- oh yes, uh, Anachard. I'm not sure if you uh, saw or, or, or heard of that game. I, I I I did have a quick look at your review. I still sort of yeah keep tabs, so that that looked interesting. <laughs> yeah, you know, very um, very moonish sort of vibes. If uh, if if that's anything to go by. I mean, if you're familiar. With I I yeah I so I've got <laughs> Moon. I'm really struggling with Moon because every time I load it up, I seem to just die in the first 45 minutes, and then I'm not sure what I'm doing wrong. Yeah, um, it's that whole segment where you've got to get food or something, and in the town, and I just don't know what I'm doing. So I, yeah. I could just well, walk through, but yeah. I will say that, uh, that Anachard is a little bit less quirky, but I feel like in terms of aesthetics yep. and the sort of like vibe that it's going for, uh, it's the the writing is is very much in the same vein. But uh, I don't know. I, I just finished that. You know, I'm kind of going. I'm I'm cycling around to like a good uh, deck building kick so i picked up rogue book and i'm liking that a lot actually and i also just picked up transiruby which is a skipmore game i don't know you know what your history with skipmore is but i've played a lot of their games they did uh, fair rune and um, when the switch first came out in the in the first year they released kamiko which was like a really short but really tight action rpg um i like their yep, games yep, a lot i did play that one yeah, um, I, I like their games a lot, and I, I I really do like this game. And right after Kamiko released, I remember I there's a post out there on the internet, it exists, where I said, I really want them to do a Metroidvania next. And lo and behold, that is what Transaruby is, and it's just as good as yeah. I would expect. Um, but we're not really here to talk about new games, right? <laughs> no no we're not we're we're here for a game that you and i have jokingly referenced i think in about every single episode for the last um however many months we were recording for most definitely and i gotta say actually just having finished up really a a couple weeks ago uh just finished up xenoblade chronicles definitive edition uh it was great to kind of come back around to this game again and also just to think about it in context of where we're headed, right? Because we know, and we'll probably touch on this a little bit later, that uh, Xenoblade 3 is coming sooner than we expected. And uh, there, it, it seems like there's some DNA in that game from this. And, uh, I, you know, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Uh, somebody who, who's seen it with fresh eyes uh, much more recently. So why don't we get into it? Uh, our main topic for today is going to be Xenoblade Chronicles X. It's a, uh, it's, one of my favorite games of all time, and you know, as with any game that you really love, there's a lot to talk about uh, with both what you like and maybe what you don't. So let's talk a little bit about our history with a game. Nick, you want to start us off? Yeah, I mean, you know, probably like like yourself, Evan Xenoblade One had come out. You you've enjoyed yourself. You you're in the throes of the Wii U. You know, excited for a game to be released every two months. 
and that's about all you've got access to. Oh, I think um, two months is me, putting it uh, generously. Yeah, okay. There were some years where it was every three months, but we'll <laughs> digress. Um, no, for me, it was an interesting one with the December release date, um, you know, outside of Japan. we um, So we had PAX Australia in late October. Right. And often, you know, the big games are coming out September, um, October. So packs in Australia can be a bit pointless of, wow, good, I can play Mario Odyssey, you know, two weeks after it comes out or, or you know, that kind of thing. So so for me, this is sort of one of the one years where I've gone there and Nintendo's been set up. They've had a booth with a game that I'm actually really excited to get a look into. Um, so not a feeling that we sort of get to have here at our packs too often, but yeah, Xenoblade Chronicles X was there. And I think the other game they had at the time, oh, I forget the name of it. It's that, that horror game. Um, you know, the photography horror game. Fatal Frame. The, yes. Yes. Fatal Frame was the other game there. So I played that a bit, but no, I, I lined up for like an hour and a half to, to play Xenoblade Chronicles X and, you know, we got, uh, 10 to 15 minutes with it, which was, which was great. <laughs> and, and I still remember it vividly. It was outside the East gate, you know, they'd sort of right. probably had your character at about level five or six or something, you know, enough that you can go out and, and sort of fight some of the initial guys. And I did that. And I'm like, cause at the time Scuttlebutt was, you hadn't really seen a lot of, uh, sort of some of inside the town stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, it had been out in Japan, but a lot of the Western media hadn't sort of... And I'm like, oh, cool, I'm going to run straight through that Eastern Gate and get into the city. The Nintendo rep just looks at me and says, turn around. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I kind of hovered around the gate and, you know, he was sort of walking around a, a circle of four Wii Us and, and every time he sort of walked out of uh, earshot of me, I'd quickly dart back into town and quickly poke in, but, you know, have my finger hovering on the, on the quick... Um, quick port back to outside the east gate um so that was just a fond memory and i think one of the only times i've been at a conference where there has been something that i've been like i need to line up and play this Um, (laughs) which which like i said based on the timeline of you know late october early november we don't usually get that here um so it was it was quite exciting yeah definitely that's a great story um and it's so rare that you get to demo something this open right um with, with uh and maybe even have the opportunity to actually explore, which this game does in a in a pretty fascinating way. I mean, yeah. in terms of of my history with with this game, you know, I've been I've said before that I followed the sort of Operation Rainfall uh, coalition, so to speak, which was the really big North American push to get games like Xenoblade, The Last Story, and Pandora's Tower over in uh, the United States. So, you know, I. I spent a couple of years just kind of watching videos of uh, the sort of like, there were these clips that would play on the Xenoblade title screen that would just kind of cycle through environments and you get to see some exploration. And that just always like, that really made my mind go to fascinating places, right? I was, I was just so excited to explore a giant world. And then when I played Xenoblade, I was really satisfied by it. And I, I was pretty confident that that would be, like, one of my favorite games ever. And uh, I remember, you know, I, it must have been, I think, the February after the Wii U launched is when they first teased uh, Xenoblade X with that very first trailer. And I just remember, you know, seeing the clips. And then the at, at one point in the teaser, they get to the point where they show the main character climb into a scale and then just jump off and start flying into the distance. And I was like, 
well, I'm pretty sure this is going to be one of my most anticipated games <laughs> yep, ever. Yep, yep. Um, which was incredibly exciting, and we'll we'll talk about skills uh, in just a little bit. But you know, my my hype for this game was super high. I was following. Uh, and, and just like, you know, keeping my eye out for trailers and information whenever I possibly could. And yeah, I mean, in a lot of ways, this was the reason and kind of still is the reason to own a Wii U. <laughs> That's really sad. Um, but when this game finally came out and I played it just like an absolute fiend, it was it was everything I wanted and maybe more. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah. I think that's a good that's a good segue to uh, to get into some of the features of this game. And I think that uh, for for a lot of people who never got their hands on a Wii U, who haven't really seen this game in action all that much, the gameplay is something that is surprisingly different from the other Xenoblade games. So I wanted to kind of start with that first, and uh, I wanted to talk about combat. So, I mean, Nick, do you have any first impressions of combat? Were were there any thoughts that you walked away with when you uh, when you finally got into the game? Well, it's, it's interesting. I so in the last few weeks, I, I picked the game up again, and I probably got about oh, say fifteen hours into it. Um, but then I also, you know, loaded up my old save file and and had a look at where I was there. And it, it the combat is sort of. The way it works is very Xenoblady. You know, they've clearly got there. You've got your toolbar across the base, um, cycling between the attacks, you know, as you run around in, a, in that 360 view of the enemy. Um, that, that's, I mean, that's the core foundation. You, you, you've got your little attacks, you know, attack from the side to do a bit of bonus damage. Um, it certainly, it, it really, just when I was picking it up, the other night and playing my old save file it really opens up once you've got the scales so i, I you've almost yeah. got two variations of the combat because i think with the scales you really do get into a full 360 degree yeah um combat above yeah. below especially when some <laughs> of those enemies start taking to the air yeah um and and that's where it really does differentiate itself but yeah i, I mean i found the combat fairly similar to the xenoblade games but i also probably don't separate out the nuance of each of them too much for me it's really just not turn-based combat so i don't enjoy it that much yeah well you know to me i think it's really the the devil is in the details right and the first thing that i i always remember about playing this game is that i just feel the pacing of this game is faster and i think that definitely has to do with like animations for sure but also like there's there's something about how things are are operating that i that i think is really exciting and a little bit more pulse pounding and i think maybe also the soundtrack has something to do with that as well but um you know just a couple of key elements that are that are really different is uh you know you've you're you're dealing with a resource uh in in this new uh xenoblade game you have uh tech points or tp uh, and that can actually be generated through your uh melee 
well, I guess your auto attacks, uh, right? And melee melee attacks generate a whole lot of TP, and then ranged attacks actually uh, net you half the amount of TP, which I guess was their way of sort of balancing things out. Um, or making you maybe weave in and out of like your your range. Yep. And I think I had, so on my replay, I've started in the last few weeks because I was just trying to skip to it and, and get through as much of the game. I really missed a lot of this. So I'm really struggling. I'm completely <laughs> underleveled. I'm not grasping the combat. And I think that's why I enjoyed jumping back to my later save file because I am, you know, level 56, 57, whatever it is. Um, and, you know, there's not really, because it's end game, there's nothing really in the world that I can't just blow up and, and shoot with my scale right um, well I, I do enjoy there's you've also got the element of the sort of the quick time artifacts during the battle you know when you successfully pull off one of those attacks you know if it is a attack from the side or inflict blaze or whatnot you get yeah. you can set your conditions behind the scenes <laughs> that go hey if i do this thing present me or have my character say this right. and then that will have an outcome of like oh heal for this or, or do that kind of stuff so obviously in the last just two weeks. I haven't really got my head around that because there's a hell of a lot going on. There uh, is. But like yeah. the battles, the battles are so quick. When these quick time prompts are coming up on screen, I'm like, fuck, what is that? I don't, uh, that. so I'm finding I'm dying a lot because a lot of your healing is tied to those quick time events. For sure. Uh, yeah. Especially really early on. So I'm, I'm really dying a hell of a lot at the moment. Yeah. Uh, you know, which is, uh, yeah. You do you do eventually get like those arts heal sorts of upgrades for like some of your equipment and, and things like that. But yeah, yeah, early on you're relying very much on on this system called Soul Voice, right? And it's so funny too, because That's it, yes, yeah, Soul Voice. <laughs> as as someone who doesn't like gambits, right? Um mm-hmm. in Final Fantasy twelve when I first saw this like the degree uh, at which you can customize uh, what your soul voice is doing with your other party members. I was like, man, this is yeah. so much fun. <laughs> I really liked it. Um, and I think it may be the quick time event, like element of it too, kind of uh, keeps the pressure up. But uh, it, it is also, it's a complex sort of system. Um, yeah. And so, you know, just, just going back to, I mean, this is a game without medics, which I think is a, is a really fascinating thing. Every single person is an attacker and you do really rely on the soul voice uh, commands to regain health, but yeah. eventually and you can... Like, so I've just got my Wii U here. And I guess for some examples for the listeners, you know, you have a, a preset. So what is the scenario? So in case right. this one here, trigger characters, HP falls below 30% dialogue effect. This is really bad. Heal me. So, you know, you get to select what your character is saying, which is great fun. Right. And then it's got plus 100% to soul heals. Right. Um, another one, you know, last words, trigger. Character becomes incapacitated. Dialogue. Oh, God, you need an aura. Gain invincibility three. So you can really start to to set it. And, you know, like I said, I was just speeding through in the last few weeks. So it's not something I dived into, but looking at the setup I've got here from my old save, it is clearly something that once you get your rhythm, you get your style that you like to use in your own battles. You can, you can build up those behind the scenes mechanics. And I guess, unlike final fantasy 12, it is not, here's how I want my party to battle. It is a lot more behind the scenes. Like when this scenario occurs, I need you guys to do this. Yeah. This is, whereas final fantasy 12 was a lot more, Hey, go in and do this, then this, then this rather than reactionary. Yeah. You, you, you do set the pace of of your battle and the the fact that you can customize your your soul voice options around 
the arts or the build that you have going for your character, I think is another really neat, neat sort of uh, function. You know, yes. like you, you are triggering blaze. Therefore the, the soul voice happens. So I, I definitely agree. I think that's really cool. Um, just a couple of other details about combat. You know, you've got the secondary and tertiary cooldowns, which I think is a, is a neat idea, but in some ways I think it slows down the pace of battle. Unless of course you're in overdrive and, your cooldowns are just like uh, super sped up, but we can talk about overdrive in in a minute. Um, you know, there is also terrain uh, sorts of conditions, or I guess I shouldn't say terrain, but uh, height uh, sort of considerations to go into uh, things, right? Where you do get sort of a bonus uh, for being above an enemy, um, or you know, you you get a debuff for being below them. And uh, I mean, to get into the the finer uh, intricacies. This is also, <clears throat> I guess, the first Blade game that allows you to experiment a whole lot with classes, at least for your uh, playable character. Nick, was there was there a particular uh, particular class that uh, that you gravitated towards? Yeah, well, I, I always in these sort of games always tend to stray towards a sniper. Yeah. Um. Any That's... you know MMO esque, and let's call it, it is an MMO esque. Game. Oh, it's got, yeah, it's got sure. the real vibe of an MMO, and we'll get into that more with the exploration and the questing. Um, I always tend to like to stay back. So, again, looking at my save file that I previously had, you know, I'd, I'd maxed out the, what is it, Astral Crusader class, which was your sniper rifle. Yes. And I'd actually just started to move into the Enforcer, uh, which was, you know, sort of trying that. But yeah, you really do. You've got so many different classes. You've got what you. So it splits out from you've got. Just looking here, you've got, you start off with the, also I will add, reading things on the Wii U gamepad is amazingly difficult in this game. <laughs> I haven't had to do it until right now and all the text is so tiny and fuzzy. Uh, so you start off with a drifter, which is your sort of, you know, generic combat class. And then after a while, you can split out to, what have we got here? A striker, a commando and an enforcer. And they obviously, you know, are more ranged, more um, distance, more that, you know, more, I guess, spells type of thing. And then from there, if I take the commando class, for instance, you split out to a winged viper and a phantom eagle. And then again, they split more. So one becomes sniper, one becomes more sort of pistols. So it's, it's really that character progression. If we take something that, you know, you've been playing recently, Evan, like Mass Effect, where you're picking that character class right from the get-go... In this case, <laughs> yeah. it really is branching your character path and, and gameplay, you know, style as you're going on, um, which is which is always quite interesting, but can be limiting in that, you know, you don't get the chance to really easily switch between these different classes. You've got to sort of, you know, I'm looking at my save file and I had a hundred odd hours in the game, but the Enforcer class, which was the second rank I even, you know, from the initial three is only level three because obviously I focused, I got the sniper working and that's how I played the game. Right. Um, but, but no doubt you may have, you know, some people will certainly have dabbled more and tried those different um, styles, but yeah, like you're saying, that's the class I went to and that class then sort of denotes well the weapons you can use, the, the skills and the arts or sorry, the arts you can use, not the skills. Cause I can't remember how the skills are tied and all that kind of jazz, but you know, like you said, there's multiple tiers of things there. Right, um, yeah. Well, you know, the, yeah. the other thing that I find fascinating about classes, right, is that once you master a class, you can kind of take that um, that equipment, uh, or I guess I should say yeah. not equipment, but the weapons that are from that class, and you can kind of mm. bring them into another class. 
Uh, and, yeah. and that opens up a lot of customization in a really exciting way. Um, and there, then there's also, yes, this whole skill slot system, right? Which is based on what classes you've mastered, you know, you can take some of the skills that they have and put them onto other classes. And I think you were, uh, what's the initial, uh, class that you start with that level one is a drifter, right? Um, the, the drifter really does have the, the most amount of skill slots. So I guess a sort of end game player would probably default back to a drifter just so that they can really customize their build by by taking all of the skills from other classes and putting them uh, onto them or onto your uh, your drifter class but i i don't know i always found this uh, to be a fascinating element of this game and while it does maybe detract a little bit from uh you know how unique the main character is i mean there, there's a whole lot of, of variety and also I mean, the weapons that you're using in these classes are absolutely fascinating. Um, I forget which one it is in particular that uh, your ranged weapon is, uh, what are those? Those two little guns that uh, kind of float by your back. Uh, oh, the, the, the dual guns. Uh, are they dual guns? Yeah. See, unfortunately, look at looking here. No, they're called here, psycho like, launchers, right? Psycho launchers. See, I clearly <laughs> never like. I I can see there. I I never really must have got into that side of the game because I, I completed the you know level ten in the Astral Crusader as the sniper, and kind of just didn't do anything else. Yeah, and I mean, if if so a certain I, build I, really I, works for you, you yeah, know, you don't. And have I think to. that was it. I was just really enjoying the build and was like, cool. These attacks, these skills, they all work for me and. But no, it almost sounds like it's uh, would have been nice sort of juggling, you know, taking the sniper back to a more melee-based class, getting in, you know, or taking that initial sniper hit and then moving in. I know nice. that uh, I know that personally, I went and took the... I, I did go the Astral Crusader route myself during my first playthrough. And then I took it back yeah. and I actually uh, went into the, uh, I guess, Longsword? Um class the the duelist the samurai gunner and striker um just because the some of the long swords that you can get are so cool um so i really wanted to have a, a nice long sword and a sniper rifle although i do love that javelin too those javelins in that game are so freaking cool <laughs> but yeah so you know th- then you, you get into other elements of customization you've got a lot of armor. Um, the other, you know, element of armor that's kind of crazy is there's all these different outfitters who kind of give you different styles of armor to, like, you know, benefit certain class types, but also they do very different sorts of things. I mean, we could get into that. Uh, we could get into the granular details, but I don't really want to because there's kind of one element that, you know, is very. Uh, prominently marketed for this game that takes a long time to get to but is arguably one of the fu- the most fun parts right and we talked about yeah, it before 15 to 20 hours into it and i'm sitting here going cool when am i going to get this stupid thing and then i've looked at your show notes this morning and you said yeah. won't get your hands on it for 40 to 60 hours and i'm like i don't remember that i do not remember the length of time it took me to unlock the scales I think maybe 30, 30 is generous, but uh, yeah. you you really have to speed run that main quest line if you want to get those mm. skills. Um, but yeah, I mean... Only one, just on a side note, only one save file I noted. So I was actually looking to try and load up because normally when I play a JRPG, every time I save, I will make an extra save file. Yeah. Um, 
just one save file. <clears throat> so there was no chance of that. Uh, yeah, you know, to be fair, this is a big game, so like I can maybe understand why they they limited yeah, it yeah. to one uh, save file, but uh you don't have to worry about that if you like myself own two Wii U's. Yeah. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I need to dust off the second one. Well, actually what I did because I all my previous save files were on a hard drive. Right. So for me, I just didn't load up my hard drive and downloaded Xenoblade X onto the the Wii U itself, which was yeah. interesting because then when I did plug in my hard drive, it took my old save. It didn't load up my new save. Huh. Huh. So, yeah. and it, it didn't give me a choice either. So I'm like, okay, I'm wondering now when I unplug this hard drive at the end of today, I'll check. Can I then Ooh. access <laughs> the save I started in the last week? Um, yeah. So that's something but yes scales like holy shit <laughs> i i i so i i've got a note here that i mean you recall you know we spoke a, a while back about halo infinite just the the navigation and the grappling in that was just fun like i just you know it's all i liked about that game was just it was just so fun same thing here when i loaded it up i had my scale and i'm like holy shit this is right this is why i loved this game because the just oh the everything like, if there's anything in this game you're enjoying, once you unlock the scales, no matter what component it is, it's infinitely better. The combat, you know, heck, even the story, um, you know, exploration, quests, absolutely everything becomes infinitely better in this game once you've got the scales. It's it's and just such a cool uh, addition, especially to a large game like this, right, where... You know, part of part of the joy of any Xenoblade game is the sense of scale, but then being able to jump in a robot that turns into a car and uh, and really, you know, get through those areas even faster, um, but also just mow down smaller enemies. That is, that is a feeling that oh. never <laughs> never grows tired tiresome. Well, this thing like I I'm hovering over right now. You know, when you start the game, you I mean, especially with that that amazing music and your first view of what's going on out there outside of where the white whale has landed. Right. You've got these giant Diplodocus-looking dinosaurs, you know, level 54, just absolutely insurmountable um, at that point in the game. <laughs> and, and hovering here now post-game and just seeing them below me and just going, you know, I can land there now and just start to take them down. It's just the sense of scale and wonder has just increased. And... I remember intimately the first thing I did when I unlocked the scale, you know, there's that giant sort of, we'll call it a, a Falcon's beak Island. That's sort yeah. of slightly off in the distance. Uh -huh. The first thing I did when I unlocked the scale was I am flying straight up there. I am going to see whatever the hell is up there. And I just remember getting up there and there was, you know, some of the bad guys, they've got their own mechs, that kind of thing. And just getting my ass out absolutely handed to me. Right. Well, um, that's another element. Just, yeah. <laughs> of uh, scales right is that even when you first unlock them right you think that you're ready to take on the world but uh there's different tiers of scales too right you get a, a license based on your level uh so your level 30 scale that you can first uh run with mm. is is not going to be able to take take out your uh your biggest uh monsters and i think that's another element of this game that's neat too is that uh, depending on the scale of a monster, they become harder uh, or, or easier to defeat, depending on what sort of uh, you know battle type you're you're choosing. Um, but 
yeah, you know, scales are fun, not only for exploration, for, for combat too. And there's a couple of unique elements that go into, into scale battles, right? Um, and once, of course, you can fly, which is even later in the game, <laughs> which is another uh, thing that's a little uh, crazy about this game. But once you can fly and really get above enemies and, and toy around with, uh, with I, I forget the, the status effect they they call it but uh you know once you break a giant monster in a scale you can then sort of like bind it and uh and create these like big force fields around them and then your your uh, party members are just kind of like laying or like tearing into these things (laughs) and they're just frozen they can't do anything it's uh it's an extremely satisfying uh sort of feeling but uh yeah scales are are amazing um but they they come with their own uh very risky set of caveats which kind of goes into like this, this game's economy right which is if you if you don't eject from your scale at the right time you might end up paying for it out of your uh, wallet and I, I don't know how you feel about this system nick uh, you know with your latest playthrough you probably haven't engaged with it yet but uh money is tight on mira uh, <laughs> any thoughts yeah no absolutely no the the scale component is it's a money sink and but you do see that as the game begins that the level of money, the amount of money you start raining in from some of these starter quests, you just you start to see zeros just stacking in. And <laughs> I don't really recall there being that much of a money sink early on. Like, yes, you've got your gear no, and things yeah. like that. Um, but so now remind me a few things. So with the scales, you've got fuel. You do have fuel, yes. Do you need <laughs> Do you need to buy the fuel? What's the What's the fuel resource like? What's How does that Work. So, I can't quite recall. I'm pretty sure you can refill um, scales with, I want to say, Miranium, right? Which is the sort of resource that's mined from the planet as you expand your frontier nav, which yep. again, that's yep. once you've we'll set up your probes and yes, yeah. And also, if you've just kind of got your scale chilling in the field, it'll slowly regenerate fuel itself as well. Mm-hmm. Um, which is another neat thing, but you can run out and you can spend resources to refill your scale. Uh, and depending on how big your scale's fuel tanks are, you can end up spending mm-hmm. a whole lot of money. Um, so that's well, one. Funny. I, I, I don't even recall, uh, you know, now that you mentioned it, the, the time of, you know, the scale not being able to fly. I think for me mentally, it really must be what the last 20 hours of the game that have ingrained themselves in my head. <laughs> Of this is what this game is. Yeah. So picking it up and going, hey, where the hell's my skill? You know, you get your blade headquarters early on. Right. And look, there's a great place for my skills to stand so I can decorate them later. <laughs> there's no skills. There isn't skills for a while. Um, it, Like I think that, and that's the bit that, you know, for the listeners that haven't played it, it's so, I mean, I don't want to say different, but it's so transformative to the game that late game component really holds up so amazingly well that even if you've got gripes with some of the early stuff, it just blows it all away. It's, it's absolutely beautiful. And that, that sense of exploration just increases so much. Yeah. You know, it's, it's always hard. It's it's memorable. It's always hard to say that about any game. Right. And, and it, it seems to be almost a trend with, with 
monolith soft games in particular the mm. the the it gets good this many hours in um statement but i really do yeah. feel that that's the case with uh with xenoblade x but um you know kind of tying scales uh into world design right um you know i i tend to yeah. i really try to focus on like giving names to concepts that i see a whole lot in uh, rpgs and one of one of the names that i've kind of coined for myself and with this sort of lexicon that i've uh, that i've put together is uh, something called a travel cycle right which is how your player character starts moving through the world and how that kind of improves as you play through games i mean you see this back in like mm-hmm. final fantasy right um or even dragon quest where you can warp to places but then you eventually get your chocobos uh then you get your airships right and xenoblade has that too right where Mm. you can you spend a lot of the opening parts of the game just really being able to sprint and i gotta say sprinting in this game has kind of spoiled uh xenoblade one and two for me (laughs) Uh, the the sprinting and just that that lovable jump oh that flailing (laughs) jump through the air you know we we thank the the lower gravity of mira um i'm assuming i don't remember if that ever comes up in the story but just uh, just the animation on that is is just hilarious you're running you jump and your, your limbs your arms all just sort of start flailing in the air for that you know what it's 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 a good to two seconds i want to say you're in the air each time you jump when you're sprinting and it makes navigation and you know if you think to something like breath of the wild where you know you can climb everything it doesn't matter here you find you're you're a mountain goat you find the tiniest (laughs) little crevasse on a on a wall at at a two degree angle you can land on it you can get a sprint you can jump again oh yeah and yeah it's just great fun very true and i mean again like i feel so much of you know if you're someone who enjoys uh zelda well specifically breath of the wild um so much of that game's like foundations and dna seems to have come from experiments in open world design um in xenoblade x um and you know some people might argue that but definitely the engine that's being used to to render this world uh, was was used for Breath of the Wild for sure, but um, mm. you know, just being able to go places and and fly through the air, those are huge elements that that you see um, appearing in in this game as well. And you're you're so right, you know, <laughs> you you try to maximize what you can get done with the resources you have in this game all the time. Um, and so, yeah. and I mean, it, it speaks you know levels to your opening. Well, before you can get that real opening main story quest, it effectively is just gate locked between exploring 15 percent of the continent i know yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I i really struggled in the last week or two to actually hit that because something just wasn't clicking with me with regards to the exploration percent and something right. must never have clicked with me originally because even looking at my old save file i'm only sitting at like 40 percent for that initial continent so well. i really struggled to hit that 15 percent and i'd unlocked you know all of the uh, the probes that I could gain access to and had level one and level two mechanical. Um, there's just something about the exploration that I think has never worked or I've never worked out what it is that drives that. And it can't be the Collectopedia, which we'll talk about later because that thing's amazing because I had that sitting <laughs> at like 96%. So I'm, 
yeah, there's 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 a lot of mechanics there, especially with regards to exploration. Um, yeah. That, that there's just a hell of a lot of mechanics in the game in general. So exploration certainly is. Well, and and you yeah. note you note too that you know when you're only able to do your sprint and your leap, uh, your your mm. giant jump, right? There are some places of this world that are very intentionally designed to keep you from getting past them. Right, there are some walls that like they really do try to like. Eh, you're you're not you're not going to be jumping over this one, buddy. Um, you, you certainly do see like here's a probe point just at the top of a giant pillar, right? You, you know, and there's there's absolutely no way to get there now. Um, and so that until end game. yeah, right, and that and that kind of sets up this whole idea of okay, well then you need to get a scale, and sometimes you need to get a scale just to like even take on the enemies in an area. Right. But then yes. you then once you're able to fly, you can finally get to the truly unreachable places, which your scale has a jump to. It's not great, but uh, it 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 functions. Um, but when you finally get that flight pack, you really open things up. Um, you know, I mean, we could talk a little bit more about Frontier Nav uh, as one of the great parts of the, the Wii U's design. They wanted to always have this map displayed um, unless you're playing off TV. Right, and this map is uh, built of hexes, and it's supposed to represent the entirety of the open world. And you can drop down these probes in certain areas to kind of reveal uh, quests um, to re- to also create a fast travel point, which is hugely important. And again, I feel like this very game, helpful. This game definitely spoils you with uh, the amount of places that you can fast travel to. I feel like the other Xenoblade games, I, I never feel like I have the freedom to start wherever I want in the same way that I no, did. No, it tends to be the landmarks, whereas this, like you said, it's the entire map is a grid-based system. And they're not huge, you know, they're not huge hexes. They are a, a, a minute of nav- you know, a minute of sprinting across will get you into another hex. Right, and yeah. the fact that pretty much each hex can almost then become a... a can each hex become a fast travel point or it's... Either way, it's about 50% of them at a minimum. So you really can get to everywhere you need to be. And that's including back in town as well, which right. is wonderful. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's true too. And also, you know, whenever you fast travel, your scales get dragged with you, which I think is a, a great choice, which, uh, you know, they did release some loading packs to help with, with bringing all that stuff around. But Frontier Nav uh, is a really fascinating system because it also factors into, again, the game's economy, right? You can, you, because they're, they're essentially these probes that you've launched or buried into the planet. Um, and you can change out what your probes do. And uh, one thing that you can do is you can mine stuff from the planet, uh, this resource called Miranium. And what you can eventually do is uh, trade in Miranium for money, which is awesome. You can use it to fuel your skills. Um, And the, the really neat thing is once you start chaining probes of a similar type together, it buffs their ability. Yes, and I remember getting really into this at the oh yeah, because, <laughs> and and you know there's so for listen you know you've got your hex grid you've got your different probes there there's set places where these probes can go right and you can only chain the probes that are all next to each other so if you're missing that central probe and you've got to have what is it three probes in a row to create yeah. a chain or three yeah. or more so if you've got you know two probes a gap and then two probes and you desperately want that middle one sometimes you can just spend way too much time and like you said on a on a on a point 
of navigation that you physically cannot access at this stage in the game. Yeah. But there's nothing really to tell you that. It's it's very open. So you're always like, oh, it's there. Maybe I've got to come around here from the north side and, you know, go through this whole bloody lava area where I know <laughs> the enemy are 30 levels above me and you waste just hours and then you get there and you're like, oh, there's a giant wall there. Cool. And, and then, then that's it. And then there's <laughs> also there's also the matter of like when you actually... <laughs> you know set up the the probe you've got to mash the a button right uh, oh that uh, there might be there might be like a giant enemy right next to it that'll just like wipe you out completely yeah. so you're desperately mashing the button i know that happened to me more than a couple times but uh um, yeah or, or you get there and your mechanical skills just not high enough oh so, yeah so got, great right well done and, uh, you know, which, again, is another aspect uh, of the game. The more you kind of explore and, and do certain tasks, the more you get these levels for accomplishing certain uh, certain types of actions out in the field. But uh, the really cool thing about Frontier Nav is that you can also, like, you can set up a probe that uh, boosts your scale's fuel recovery rate um, on a certain node, or you can you can boost your combat abilities on a certain node as well, mm. which I think is uh, is something that like people rarely play with, but um, it can help you with some of these tougher quests uh, that you'll have to uh, complete, which is something, again, we can talk about in, in just a little bit. But, um, you know, just again about uh, in, in regards with uh, exploration, you know, you're out in the field, you'll often find these little, uh, you know, whether it's a, an abandoned, like... Uh, buggy or something like that or a chest uh you can open up using those field skills uh again yeah which... so you've got what well, you've got me- mechanical biological and archaeological yeah skills i think like, are the three main like ones that. for exploration mm-hmm. and yeah you encounter like yeah like i've been saying you know it might be an old buggy or it might be a a rotted old tree right um and sort of similar to xenoblade 2 you know you've got to have a skill at a certain level to be able to interact Right, yeah. Which... Thing. By interact, we just mean press A a lot. Right. Because you'll be doing that a lot. It's so funny, too, because I never really even thought of the connection there between between Xenoblade 2 and, and X, but that really is, that's the that's that's Xenoblade X's equivalent of field skills that you see uh, with blades in Xenoblade 2. And you can really sort of hamper yourself early on because, you know, when you level up and get told, oh, you can now level up one of these uh, archaeological, biological, or mechanical level from level one to two you know if you've got oh i'm going biological i'm finding a lot of blah blahs but then all of a sudden it's like oh i now need to go and unlock some more of these probes great i can't right because yeah. a lot you know <laughs> after the first wave of probes they're all sort of level two and above um and so there can be some yeah if you're not careful right and so what nick is talking about too is that there's there's leveling up your character right but then there's also like leveling up your blade rank which comes from like completing yeah. quests, and when you complete your quests, that's when you can spend these points to um, to to raise these field skill levels. And uh, you're you're very right; you can screw yourself uh, in in some particular ways. But uh, it also depends on the sort of I, I don't want to call it job, but faction you've fa- fallen under too, right? Which is a whole other element of this game, <laughs> and uh, maybe something we don't even really want to get into, but depending yeah. on depending on the uh the faction of the blade organization that you choose to fall under they're like essentially guilds i guess is one way to put it um if you complete certain tasks you uh 
your blade rank goes up faster. And so like if you're a prospector, for example, well, you're going to be trying to find uh, geological stuff and minerals and, and all that stuff out in the field. And if you do that, your blade rank will raise and you can potentially find better stuff for your job or your guild uh or you can you know again try to invest in these uh front frontier nab uh pro yeah and and you can correct me if I'm wrong but you can quite easily sort of interchange between the different i guess you know role types can't you i think that you you can line you up with that yeah it's good because you know depending on what you're feeling like doing like hey i feel like just getting out there and exploring the map and doing as much as i can all right i'll set my my career type or you know job to just the exploration type so i know that i'm benefiting from the most experience or perhaps i'm feeling more combative or wanting to go out there and combat these big um i forget the name of them but there's you know the special enemies on the map that you can get extra experience from battling yes Uh, so you know you might set your class to that type so it does give you that freedom which is quite nice to but of course you know if you forget to change that and you just play in the game then it doesn't really matter but you'll level up a bit slower from your blade rank but right day it's more just something to do really it's just another mechanic and this game has a hell of a lot of mechanics some that you can just you can ignore most of these honestly you can play the game and ignore so much of this and not not really be concerned but it's there if you want it and i think that's the lovely bit it is like an mmo in that aspect you know there's just there's job types there's crafting there's all this kind of shit going on behind the scenes that if you don't really want to do it i mean heck evan one of them you can just become a mediator for the people in the town and you go around solving the daily quabbles of those people outside the coffee shop. Right. So, <laughs> Which, you know, again, like, it's it's such a thorough game and it blows my mind. Again, that, I mean, first off, that, like, this was their next thing that they did after the original Xenoblade. Um, but then that they also pivoted, again, really quickly after this game and made Xenoblade 2. Because um, this game is so in depth in so many ways but i guess if we're going to talk about you know guilds and and even just one other element of um of exploration that kind of ties this all together we can talk a little bit about side quests which you know Hmm. i think you you are right in saying that this is a very mmo-esque game and something that i think a lot of people a lot of like i guess i would say more casual um, JRPG fans might not appreciate is that this game really is great because of its side quests and not its main narrative, right? So if you're playing this game for the story, uh, you're going to find more rewarding stuff in the side quests. At least that's my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. To go back to your point, Nick, of how do I... How do I raise my um, my exploration level? Well, you need to complete quests. And uh, in this game, there's a quest for every single hex um, that makes up the map of Mira. And it's that's a lot of hexes. So there's a lot of quests to do. And if you complete a quest in a specific region, if you go to, to, to the uh, front, Frontier Nav and you see that you've checked that off, it adds mm. to your overall percentage completion of that part of the map. There um, you go. <laughs> well, that's the thing. And looking on, you know, I was looking on uh, how long to beat um, dot com this morning, and you look at oh god, you know, Xenoblade <laughs> X, and yeah, and so you know, main story sixty eight hours to you know the median of sixty seventy hours, leisurely of ninety hours. Main plus extras, which is where I dare say I was, is you know about one hundred and twelve to one hundred and thirty hours. 
completionist, you know, 250 <laughs> hours to 1,600 hours. Um, you know, so it's just... It's a crazy yeah, game. It's, it's, it, it really is. And it's, like I said, you know, my save, I'm, I finished the game probably about 130, 140 hours. So that's some, you know, post-game exploration, doing what you enjoy. But there is so much more in there that you can just... You know, even my new game, 15 hours in, I've already got a list of quests and I haven't even delved into town. I haven't gone and talked to the townsfolk and I've got a list of about 35, 40 quests. Yeah, I know. Just there that, (laughs) and and, and it can be overwhelming, um, but they're there and it's it's very easy to navigate to them. It's very easy to find them on the map. Um, It is. When you remember how a Wii U gamepad works, because when you haven't used a Wii U for five or six years, it's very difficult to get back to relying on having a gamepad. Oh sure, uh, sure. It's I I just I, it it's quite clunky. Yeah, um, bless the little thing. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of information going on on that map in this game that I have no idea what it's telling me, but it's there. It's yeah. clunky, but it is nice. Like you said, the little things like putting the probes down by using my touchpad to just sort of you know zoom in and go, oh, what do I want to do? I want to change this from a a research probe to a a combat probe or that kind of stuff. Right, um, it's all quite nice. The quest system, because you're right, you know, there are quests that you will complete out on Mira, but then there are also quests that you can take on in town. And the townspeople in uh, New Los Angeles or Neo Los Angeles uh, are, well, they've got a lot to say uh, and they want a lot of things. And sometimes those quests will take place in the town. Sometimes you'll actually have to go out into the world to solve them too. But um, uh, and tip, typical fare. Sometimes <laughs> they just need some some rabbit meat to make dinner that evening, you know. Or right. yeah, like sometimes they were previously a part of the military and they've lost something when they were off adventuring, but now they're injured and they can't, you know, all that kind of stuff. But then sometimes it is just a squabble, which is great. <laughs> yeah, and and what I will say is that there's. There's like two kinds of quests in this game. There's the, you know, kind of standard RPG bullshit, as I like to say, which is, you know, hunt X creature, collect X amount of thing, or go out to this area and get this thing and then report back, which yeah. sometimes isn't isn't all that. I mean, it's stuff to do, right? It is your job <laughs> in this game. But um, then, you know, you, you have the, what I think is the true beauty of this game which is there are so many narrative side quests that are about kind of learning about the people who live in this uh in this human civilization but also the the xeno part of this game too right which is all the aliens right and there are so many great alien species and nick again i don't know if if this is a a portion of the game that you delved all that much into but there are some really fascinating uh creatures that you will integrate into your society to make uh neo los angeles like more than just a human colony um that they have you you learn so much about through the quests that they present and uh i I mean i was kind of curious to hear your thoughts do you remember this part of the game all that well no not i don't really (laughs) think i spent a lot of time in town i i didn't find that part of it all that fascinating um, I think some of the early alien characters you encounter really rubbed me the wrong way. Oh, for um, sure. <laughs> s- s- specifically L. I can't yeah. stand L. It it's just it 
makes me want to not deal with any aliens. I'm sorry if I come <laughs> off as xenophobic right now, but you well, know, not all aliens are like hell. We get that. Tatsu's pretty great. You know, that little potato. You can't go wrong with having a little potato in your party. Um, but no, I sort of, I don't really recall that side of it. I don't, but, but again, it's such a massive game that I'm not surprised that there are entire elements and arcs and gameplay mechanics that I've not even touched Oh, or well, gathered see, on, you know, a hundred plus hours. <laughs> yeah, see, so that's that's something that I would definitely, you know, we can talk about a little bit later as we get on to, into narrative, but there are some great uh, aliens to to meet in this game. And uh, you, you do encounter some through the story, but uh, a lot you actually have to go out and find kind of out in the world. Uh, and, and then they kind of become a part of your community. Mm. And the funny thing, Nick, too, is that uh, you learn as you kind of spend more time in in, uh, in LA uh, that there are plenty of humans who are xenophobic, too. <laughs> and there's yes, more than there's yes. more than a few side quests where people uh, really do show the ugly side of, uh, of human nature. I think, which is a, it's a pretty fascinating part of this game. Um, and it's another reason that I, I really love the writing so much. Um, mm. But before we get into kind of other areas of this game, the last thing I wanted to talk about is, and I don't have a whole lot to say about it, because um, it's actually an element I didn't engage in all that much, but there's also multiplayer in this game too, which yeah, is... Yeah, <laughs> I um, never touched it. Like, so when you, when you load up the game each time, you're asked, how do you want to play? Do you want to play solo? Do you want to play with randoms on the internet? Or do you want to play with friends? I can safely say I never chose the play with friends option. I may have chosen the multiplayer option at some point, but I don't even remember what it does. Uh, squad quests or something you get access to, but... Yeah, so there's kind of two elements of this game. Uh, there's like the soft multiplayer and then the, the hard element. And the soft multiplayer comes in the form of tasks and... What that means is essentially when you have chosen a guild you and you go on to one of the kind of worldwide servers, you can occasionally get these, um, I guess, groups of enemies or uh, a certain resource that needs to be collected in a certain amount of time. And depending on if you and other people who are in your guild... Uh, manage to kill that many enemies or collect that many resources you yeah. kind of net points for your guild and then at the end of every week they factor in who has the most points and they give you uh, a certain amount of uh, a really special resource called reward tickets uh, as a result so it's a little competitive and kind of fun um, mm. but again it's it's kind of a diversion especially if you're trying to do other stuff in the game um, rather than just help people out and there's the hard multiplayer stuff which is it's the pve element and so you can kind of go into this area where you can warp in with a bunch of other uh, players and then fight some enemies for a certain amount of uh, you have a certain time limit it's almost monster hunter e in that way you have a time limit and you need to kill certain uh, kinds of enemies and sometimes they get pretty hard you know, you do fight uh, the legendary Telethia who appears uh, in this game, and you can fight out in the field too. But again, in Monster Hunter fashion, uh, he's way stronger. Uh, and so you can also get reward tickets that way. And reward tickets can be used to kind of trade in for really valuable resources. And some of your like late to end game equipment that you need to kill like the super end bosses of this game uh, is is 
really very easily purchasable with these reward tickets. So it's a it's a viable option if you don't feel like dealing with a lot of the grind that does exist in this game. But uh, again, if you've never really in- engaged in it all that much, uh, there's not much to say about it. Yeah, and and that probably is a fascinating part. And I think, you know, I've already touched on there for myself, well, for both of us, the multiplayer, for myself, the sort of a- alien um, world building stuff, there no doubt will be complete mechanics in this game that we don't even touch on. Um, complete components of this game that just you know there's only so many hours you can play a game that we might just not ever touch some of the components in this game and that is fascinating and and sitting here thinking and you know hearing you talk about some of this quest stuff that you know I've got a game save there sitting post game I really could just start jumping back into some of that early quest stuff <laughs> because that's what I enjoy. And, you know, just it's it's just going to be a nice dopamine hit, ticking off those quests nice and easy. I'll be completely overleveled. For sure. Um, I'll get some cutscenes, And that's what I love about Xenoblade is, you know, your heart-to-hearts, which oh, are, yeah. are in this game. You know, just well, the story building coming from that is just, yeah, wonderful. Yeah, and I mean, again, to go back to, and we'll kind of talk about it in the next section as well, but the playable cast in this game is actually way bigger than uh, than a lot of people might expect. You do have this like sort of core cast of individuals, and they they're often featured in the um, in kind of the main story quest stuff, which is Elma and Lynn and your main character. But there are other characters that you can kind of rope into, uh, you know, that you can meet in uh, NLA and kind of join you on quests and. You know, you learn more about them and you experience those heart to hearts and they have these story arcs and it's uh, it's really satisfying. It's very, very cool. Um, but it's not in a way that, again, people who are familiar with Xenoblade Chronicles or the sequel will probably be familiar with because you actually need to, like, find these people in uh, in nla and that's also. Yeah, because another- you've kind of so you've got your what your main playables, like you said, but then there are just. Uh, recruits in the army that you're in that you can sort of say, hey, do you want to come along with me for a while? And and you can battle with them and things like that. But they, they're they sort of varying levels of how fleshed out, I guess we'll call them these tiers of characters are. Yeah. And so um, but just to, yeah. to put things in perspective, right, your sort of main cast, um, the people who you're kind of introduced to uh, through story missions, you've got your main character, right? Then you have uh, Elma, Lynn, you've got, and then you kind of, you meet Irina, Gwen, Doug, and Lau, and then L too, right? So those are your sort of playable characters, uh, which is two, four, six, eight. Um, but then there are also two, four, six, eight, ten, uh, eleven other recruitable characters that you can also bring into the fold too, which is... Uh, which it's a lot. And they, and the really cool thing about the uh, recruitable characters is when you kind of finish out their quest line, their, uh, their heart to hearts and you max out their affinity, they actually give you a special art that you can then equip to your character, ah. um, which I think is a, is a really cool. And see, I'm, I'm not normally one in JRPGs to sort of change up my party too often. I tend to find the play styles and the combat that work for me. So my you know final party definitely was um myself elmer <laughs> um probably had my boy doug in there yeah um and i can't remember who else you were having a quick look at myself like i had l was at level 26 still 
Yeah. Um, I'd put him into my party because obviously I was before I packed up the game looking to to level up some of the other characters. But yeah, it's there's a lot there. And then you've even got your supporting characters that aren't necessarily characters that are playable, but come along with your party. So you sort yes. of engage in the story at some point. Um, and again, you know, that's not story-based. That is, you know, if you take someone like Tatsu, the little Nopon fella, he's generally with you if you've got um, Lin in your party. Right. So you can sort of, yeah, tie together other... And just looking at a list of some of these characters, the recruitable, one of them is called Murderous. What a great Oh, name. yes. Yeah, just... <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she has a great quest line herself too, which uh, we can maybe talk about in just a little bit. But... Um... Yeah, you know, there's uh, there's a lot to do. And I should also say one thing that we didn't really touch upon, but uh, Xenoblade X is kind of unique or different from the uh, other Xenoblade games that have been released so far, at least, in that it's a four-person cast or a four-person party that you can go out into the field with. And uh, that can really factor into how easily uh, you take down enemies and and what sort of uh, setup you're dealing with. And so having those recruitable characters can be really helpful. The only issue is you actually need to meet up with them in uh, NLA in order to recruit them. And, uh, well, sometimes they only are in certain places during certain times of the day. Uh, so if you don't have a wiki queued up in front of you, it can be yeah. kind of irksome to find them. Yeah, it's, it's got that whole Xenoblade, everyone runs on their own schedule, you build your relationships with them out, so you've got your great, you, you know, your great affinity chart um, that I always love, you know, who kn- who knows who, who's friends with who. Um, it's probably not as large as, you know, in Xenoblade 1, um, especially, or, or, or 2, where you've oh, got just the individual oh. townsfolk, and <laughs> I don't know about that. Nick. <laughs> again, I, I didn't, I didn't delve into a lot of the townsfolk stuff as much in this, so that might be why. Looking through my map, it's not as, you know, I don't have the little trio of of friends that like to kick a soccer ball around together. Mine yeah. tended to be more story based, so yeah. there's probably a hell of a lot there. There's, there is, there's a whole lot to uh, to see and find, and I, I don't know. I mean. You might be right there, but I'd be surprised if uh, if there wasn't. Because, again, the more of these alien races that you uh, kind of integrate into the NLA community, the affinity chart really does end up getting uh, much more, much deeper. We've gone through <laughs> almost all of the mechanical stuff that I wanted to talk about with this game. Uh, maybe this is a good time for a little bit of a break. You know, this episode might be pretty extensive, so... Hi everybody, this is Evan. Just editing in this last outro because this did end up being a pretty big project, so we are going to split this into three parts, and we're going to come at you again with part two next week, and then finally, right before Xenoblade 3 releases, we'll be finishing up this series the week after. So I hope you've been enjoying it so far. You can hit us up, of course, at RPG PodQuest on Twitter. And if you have any email uh, that you'd like to send to us, you can send it to RPGPodQuest at gmail.com. If you have any recommendations or ideas for big retrospectives that we can do next as we move later into this year and as we continue to make content, we would love to hear from you. But for now... We will see you next time. Take care.